One of the first stories of temptation I heard was when I was nine years old. Our elementary school in Milwaukee put on a musical called Let George Do It. All about the life of George Washington. Legend has it that the young boy George, bored one afternoon in his backyard, found an axe, saw a cherry tree, couldn't resist, and chopped it down. I was among a small group of kids that got to sing the song about it, complete with hand gestures. And even though I cannot tell you what I had for dinner last night, I can still remember some of those lyrics and the tune. And it went like this. Cherry tree chop, 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 cherry tree chop, chop, chop. Now what would any little fellow do? Temptation's just too great when you find an axe and a cherry tree too. You gotta get chopping. Can't wait, can't wait, can't wait. Thank you very much. <laughs> Ever since that first introduction to temptation, it's all been downhill for me. <laughs> Daily temptations to do other than I know I should beckon to me. Their siren song calls me to the nearest cinnamon roll. Which, by the way, if you didn't already know it, Los Gatos Cafe on North Santa Cruz Avenue <laughs> has a giant homemade version that they serve hot with a steak knife stabbed into it. Where was I? <laughs> uh, calling me to the nearest cinnamon roll. Temptation enticing me back to bed when I know I could get up early, beat the morning traffic rush from San Mateo, and get to the office by 8 a.m. And other temptations that are best left unspoken from the pulpit. Sadly, I have lived and embodied that quote from Oscar Wilde. I can resist everything except temptation. And as the country singer Terry Gibbs so wisely put it in her 1981 hit, Somebody's Knocking. Somebody's knocking, should I let him in? Lord, it's the devil, would you look at him? I'd heard about him, but I never dreamed He'd have blue eyes and blue jeans <laughs> And you know what's going to happen next when she opens the door to that devil? After all, it's a country song <laughs> And you know, our temptations look damnably good This is, by the way, Pulpit Karaoke Sunday in <laughs> Little known holiday in the Episcopal Church I have to admit, in the past I have found it kind of hard to relate to Jesus in today's Gospel reading. First of all, who on earth eats nothing for 40 days and lives? Second, Jesus never really seems to be in danger of giving in to the temptations of the devil. He swats Satan away like an annoying gnat every time, calmly quoting Deuteronomy to make each of his counterpoints. One does not live by bread alone. Worship the Lord your God and serve only him. Do not put the Lord your God to the test. If we are meant to take Jesus' resistance to temptation as an example for our own lives, it's not really a fair comparison. 
And another thing, what Satan tempts Jesus with is hard for us to relate to. Are you hungry, Jesus? It's been 40 days. Go ahead and prove your God by turning these stones into bread for your meal. Interested in ruling the world? Just get on your knees and worship me and I'll give it to you. Are you sure you're God? Why don't you throw yourself down from this temple top and prove it? These aren't the sorts of temptations we encounter every day. At least I hope not. The enticements that we battle are more mundane. The lull of comfort and security. The lure of money or sex or food. Maybe the appeal of fame, power, or social standing. But these are all small beans compared to how Satan tempts Jesus. What the devil is actually doing in our gospel reading today is more clever than we might at first realize. He is trying to tempt Jesus out of being fully human. He's trying to get Jesus to rely on his own divinity so as to make life easier for himself. Jesus already has the power to turn stone to bread, but he chooses to go hungry for our sake, to be more like us. He already has the authority to command angels to save him if he jumps from the temple top, but he's relinquishing that authority for our sake, to be more like us. And Jesus doesn't need Satan to give him all the kingdoms of the earth. They are ultimately God's already. But for those 40 days in the desert, Jesus has been conditioning himself to live as fully human, self-emptying the divine within him so he can more fully relate to us prior to beginning his ministry among us. The wilderness experience he must go through is to be exiled from his divine nature and dwell in the despair and temptations of being human. Of course, both the human and the divine are always there throughout his ministry, but it's his choice to accompany us in our suffering and in our joy by being like unto us. The devil in this passage knows that the best way to foil that plan is to trick Jesus into relying on his own divinity as an easy way out. And you know, though I started out by saying that I couldn't relate to Jesus, I think this might actually be what temptation is like for all of us. It is a struggle between what is divine and elevated in us and what is all too human and fallen. When we give in to our temptations, we sometimes offer that sheepish excuse of, hey, I'm only human. But there is another teaching in our heart that has schooled us to strive for better. And that learning doesn't come from living a life of ease and always doing what feels good. No. Choosing the divine can often mean receiving that education in the classroom of suffering and sacrifice. Not that we are destined to be saviors of the world, but we are called to live fully. And doing that means embracing our own mortality, acknowledging the pain of others, and sometimes leaving behind our own creature comforts to help them. Like the human Jesus, we will all die one day. Remember that you are dust, and to dust you shall return. Keeping that in mind can paradoxically help us to live more deeply. Like the divine Jesus, we believe we will too participate in resurrection.
There is a wilderness in you. A place you'd rather not go or go back to because it costs you something. It is the place where you have felt despair and exile for whatever reason. Maybe losing a loved one is what drove you into the wilderness. Or those long months of unemployment. Or the rage of having to live through circumstances beyond your control, whatever they were. Or a sense that you were bad for giving into a temptation that hurt others or yourself, like alcohol, drugs, adultery, porn, overeating. Anything that placed itself between you and love. But the wilderness is a teacher. And if you can enter that classroom, sit still, and take the lesson, you'll be the better for it. She will coach you on how to be more compassionate for having suffered yourself. He will instruct you on the art of letting God's grace wash over you, a quiet sandstorm that stings, then clarifies. But you have to go there. And I think the reason most of us will not make a practice of giving up or taking something on for Lent is that we're afraid of the wilderness we might encounter if we embrace solitude, suffering, or silence. Much easier to remain comfortable, casual, and complacent about our spiritual growth. But know this. Even as Jesus became more human in his desert, you will become more divine in yours. In closing, two invitations for this Lenten season now upon us. One is an excerpt from a poem by the memoirist Mary Carr, writing about how simple and close at hand the voice of God really is if we can just stop and listen for it. As Paul says in today's epistle, the word is near you, on your lips and in your heart. Fair warning, there is a swear word near the end of this, but I hope and think you will live through it. Mary Carr writes, 90% of what's wrong with you could be cured with a hot bath, says God through the manhole covers. But you want magic to win the lottery you never bought a ticket for. Tenderly, the monks chant, embrace the suffering. The voice never panders, offers no five-year plan, no long-term solution, no edicts from a cloudy white beard hooked over ears. It is small and fond and local. Don't look for your initials in the geese honking overhead or to see through the glass even darkly. It says the most obvious shit, i.e., put down that gun. You need a sandwich. And this, a three-word sentence from the British theologian Harry Williams, whose writing we will ponder at our Lenten class later this morning. Accept your wilderness. May God give you the strength in these coming weeks to heed the voice in the desert calling you to your divinity. Amen.